Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, I would invite you to turn with me to James chapter 1. Continuing our series today called Faith Forward, and we're talking all about what it looks like to live out your faith. So, not just to have faith in Christ, but what does that faith look like on a day-in, day-out basis? How is it that Christ should change our identity, change the way we live, change the way that, that we seek about going about our lives? We saw last week that the world will teach us to serve yourself, but the Word says that we identify as a servant of Christ Jesus. The world would challenge us and call us and invite us to use our position to always be advancing ourselves and our ideas and our lives, our mission, our goals, yet the Word is going to call us to use the various positions in our life to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And all of that was only in one verse last week. Uh, but today we go to a few more verses, perhaps one of the most famous passages. James actually has several passages that you could say that about. This is one of the most famous passages. But this might be the one that you think of when you think of the book of James. We're going to spend some time this morning talking about trials. And while this may be a familiar passage to many of you, I've been asking the Lord over the course of the last couple of weeks to make this passage and this truth come alive to you in a fresh and real way. Because I believe that this passage and understanding these concepts are among the most important things for a believer in 2023. And the reason I say that is because many people today, as I have conversations with folks inside and outside of the church, People who claim to have once been in the faith due to trials and hardships in their life now find themselves what they would identify as agnostic or maybe even completely against the idea of having faith in Christ. In fact, just a few weeks ago, we were sharing the gospel uh, at Topeka with some people who claimed to be Satan worshipers, self-proclaimed Satan worshipers. Those actually exist, brothers and sisters. You may think we're making that up, but we were there having conversations with them. And my friend Travis here was having a conversation with a woman who claimed to have a church background. In fact, claimed to have studied for several years um, theology. Yet because of hardship and difficulty in her life, she had completely abandoned the faith. Now, you may think, well, that's an extreme case, Pastor. And yes, it is. But, but what I want to tell you is that you don't have to become a Satanist to fall victim to this. Uh, you maybe have heard the term, and if you haven't heard the term, you probably will in coming years, deconstruction. Um, young adults today in, in large numbers are, quote-unquote, deconstructing their faith. As they are looking at things and experiencing hardships and difficulties, uh, they are walking through a process that they are labeling deconstruction. For the record, that sounds new and cool and trendy, but there's a Bible word for that. It's apostasy. That's what the Bible says. Leaving your faith, abandoning the faith, and uh, listening to the lies of the world and being influenced by that instead of God and His Word, that is apostasy. And when you listen to these interviews of many famous quote-unquote Christians who have apostatized or have quote-unquote deconstructed, when you listen to many of these interviews, not all of them, but many of them, by and large, are marked by the same characteristic. And they essentially say this, either they or someone close to them went through something really, really difficult and really, really awful, 
And their response to that is to ask the question, how can God be real if somebody that I love or, or that myself even goes through something so absolutely terrible? But when I talk to Christians today, I, I see that it's not only apostate people who struggle with those questions. Even inside the church, many are confused and hurting as they find themselves encountering difficult situations. Maybe you haven't abandoned your faith, but maybe today you've got some real questions. Well, the good news today is that I believe the Word of God has answers for us. Well, what are trials? Why do we face them? How are we called to face them? And why do we even go through them? I believe this text is going to answer this in a clear and powerful way today. So I'm thankful to study this with you. So would you read along? You don't have to read out loud this time, but I'm going to read over you what we've already read twice today. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, and then I'll pray and ask the Lord to help us understand His Word. Here's what it says. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Let's pray again. Lord, we are just so grateful for this opportunity to study your word together. Lord, I know that in this room right now, and those who may be watching online, there are trials that some of us know about. There's also trials happening in the lives of people that are listening right now who nobody knows about but them. Yet, Lord, in the midst of those trials, would you give us ears to hear today, Holy Spirit-enabled ability to receive your word and let it take root in our heart in such a way that it would bear fruit of righteousness. Lord, we want to be a people who are molded and shaped by your truth and your word, not by what we feel, not by what the world says, and not by the things around us. So, God, help us do this today. Teach us, Lord. We are listening. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to remind you about the people receiving this letter. Last week, we said that James was writing to the persecuted church. This is a church that uh, has literally the Jewish people, the Jewish believers had had to pick up and run for their very lives and flee for safety. Persecution had them scattered, dispersed, if you will. The text calls it the dispersion across the region because of their faith in Christ. And we're going to notice that even though these people had been through very, very difficult circumstances, James does not go soft on them. Sometimes it's like, well, these people have been through enough. You just need to roll out like a happy sermon today, Pastor. But James is going to give there. There's about 108 verses in the book of James. 60 of them are imperatives, which mean commands. So all, over half of this book is saying, here's what you need to do to walk out your faith. But I want you to notice the tone. He's not an angry preacher, red-faced, yelling at them. All right? I may be a little hot in here, but I'm not yelling at you. So if I get red-faced, it's not because I'm angry. It's just because I went long-sleeve fishing shirt, which sometimes is a mistake. All right? So just a, after a red-faced preacher, I thought, I may be the red-faced preacher by the end of this message. I just want you to know, I love you, and I'm not yelling at you. I'm just passionate and excited. But James is not that dude. He, he's not yelling out commands saying, fix this, do this. In fact, you'll notice there in the text that he says, my brothers, and the CSB adds sisters, since this is clearly talking about all the believers in the church. This tone is familial. So, so as a loving father instructs his children so James is lovingly inviting the people of God to a deeper faith 
in Christ and a faith that actually works itself out in the way they live their lives. But nonetheless, this command that we read in verse 2 must have been shocking for the original audience to hear. Consider it joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Let's just be real, church. How absurd is this command? I mean, think about it. Take joy when you meet trials. Do you know anybody who actually does this? It's like James is inviting us to live our lives in some sort of fantasy world where we pretend that our problems don't actually exist. When I read this command, I'm reminded of my childhood family vacation that we went on and by the way we just got back from a vacation this week we we took some time to get out of town uh, i get the irony that last week i made fun of oklahoma and then monday loaded up and took my family on a vacation to oklahoma so it's fine <laughs> we're all hypocrites it's all right but but when i went on a vacation with my family we were probably there were three of us boys and we were probably all under the age of 10 and i remember we went to a theme park we went to astro world right six flags it was a big deal for kids all of our friends had gone we wanted to go and my mom had worked so hard to go i don't know if they had this kind of comp up here but like if you collected so many coke cans and all this stuff you could get in at a cheaper price mom had worked hard to get the family to astro world and it was hot, it was humid, like Southeast Texas, Houston area hot, you know, gross. And, and we did not take very long to discover that we are not actually theme park people, all right? Like just rides weren't something that we enjoyed and, and it was, uh, you know, just kind of a lot of lines and a lot of standing around. And did I mention that it was hot and humid? It just wasn't ideal. So at one point, my mother had to go use the restroom and I will never forget this and now it is so so relatable as I am now a husband and a dad my dad gathers the three of us up and says boys you listen to me your mom worked hard to get us here we are going to have fun do you understand me and of course the three of us said yes sir much fun sir we will and you know, it is, if we did, it ended up being a good day. We found some sort of deal you walked in and it missed it on you. So we survived. Uh, and it's a fun memory now that we, we like to talk about. But sometimes when we read a command like this, we almost read it with that same tone, don't we? Hey, consider it joy. Like grin and bear it. When life gives you lemons, make some lemonade and deal with it. That's what this is calling us to do. But I want you to see today that this command is so much deeper than this. And really to understand the command, we need to understand a little bit about the trials that we end up facing. The word here for trial is actually the same Greek word for testing. If you look at verse 13, it's going to talk about no one being tempted by God. And that word tempted is actually the same Greek word as trial, which can make it a little confusing. But the way this works in the Greek language is that the context determines whether it is a trial or a test or if it is a temptation. So obviously in this text here, it is talking about a trial or a difficulty. And then in a few weeks when we get to verse 13 it's going to be talking about temptation but it's the same Greek word and it's talking in this context about the trials or challenges that we face in life and these couple of verses tell us some things about trials that I think are absolutely powerful and important for us to understand so let's talk about those together the first thing we see in the text is that trials are inevitable trials are inevitable 
James says, whenever you encounter trials. Notice he doesn't say, if by some happenstance you find yourself stumbling into a trial one day. He says, no, when you meet trials. It's not if, it's when you face these trials. The Bible's going to tell us this in multiple places, right? 1 Peter chapter 4 even bluntly says, do not be surprised when you face fiery trials. I think of 2 Timothy 3 that says things are going to go from bad to worse in our world. Do not be surprised when the world hates you. Like it, just a cursory reading of the New Testament should reveal to Christ followers today that we have no reason to have an expectation that we're never going to go through hardship and difficulty in this life. Yet why is it that if we're honest, we're blindsided every time something bad happens? The Bible says, don't be surprised. These are inevitable. There are a couple of reasons that trials are inevitable. First, the reality that you and I live in a broken world marred by sin. Because of sin, God's perfect creation is broken. Romans 8 tells us that. The creation itself longs for the day when Christ will finish his work of redemption, even in his creation. The world itself longs for things to be made right. The wisdom literature of the Bible tells us that the rain falls on the, the just and the unjust. And some of you are like, I don't care if they're just or unjust. Lord, send some rain, right? We need some. Hopefully that'll happen this week. But we live in a fallen world. None of us are immune from the consequences of living in this broken and sinful world. But you also need to know that sometimes our trials are not just things happening to us. But that oftentimes God in his providence will lead us into a situation that is actually making us who it is that he wants us to be. Put a pin in that. We're going to come back to that in a few minutes. But I want us to understand first that trials are inevitable in the Christian life. We also see in this text that trials come in many shapes and sizes. The text says various trials. Some of your translations may say when you meet trials of various kinds. They are not all the same. Situations that may be a trial to you may look like absolutely no big deal to somebody else. Have you noticed this in your life? A silly illustration that, that I think is applicable is something like a plumbing problem in my house. Like it can be a minor plumbing issue. And when that minor plumbing issue happens, it's a day of a trial for me. I, you know, I'm panicking. I can't get it to work. I have to make at least seven or eight trips to the hardware store, right? Like, it's a thing. And for me, it's a real trial. Where we have multiple plumbers in our church or just people who are handy and have a little working knowledge of plumbing, that it may be a five-minute deal, and then they're on with their day. So if they heard me talk about that trial, they're going to roll their eyes and say, Rusty, you're an idiot. But nonetheless, it was a real thing that the Lord very well could have been working within me in the midst of that day. So I think it's easy. This is a word I want you to hear today. It's easy for us to judge or critique others, but I think it's absolutely foolish for us to measure our trials against the trials of another. Oh, you think that's bad? Like everyone's got, I mean, why are we always trying to out-trial one another? That's dumb. What the Bible is telling us is that they come in many shapes and sizes, various kinds, and that all of them, God is working in us. So if you hear of somebody in your life, 
you know, some of you older folks, you hear of a millennial going through a trial and you want to roll your eyes real hard at them and say, that's nothing, you bunch of soft people. Here's what I want to tell you. Maybe instead you should pray and say, Lord, would you use this situation to mold and shape them into who it is you want them to be? And I pray that we would do that. They come in all shapes and sizes, big ones, little ones, momentary or, or even seasonal. Also, we see in this text that trials are unexpected. Now, this may sound like I'm contradicting myself, because if you're taking notes, you're going to say, wait a second, you just said trials are inevitable, and now you're saying they're unexpected. And again, there is a, a contradiction here in a sense, but even though we know that trials are inevitable, doesn't the trial usually surprise us? Again, like Peter told us, don't be surprised. We are always surprised. And the text seems to indicate this. The word meet here or experience in the Christian Standard Bible is actually the Greek phrase fell into. It's the same word that's used when it talks about the, the guy who got beat up on the road and left for dead before the Good Samaritan came into. You remember, it might say something in your English Bible, and then he fell into robbers on the road. So it's the idea that he's walking down the road, minding his own business, when bam, he met a real significant trial, didn't he? In the same way as we are going through life, many of us just doing our own things, it seems like all of a sudden, even though we're to expect them, they always tend to broadside us. But the invitation of Scripture today is to expect the unexpected. We know that we are inevitably going to fall into trials of various kinds, but the command from God's word as we look at it today is so unbelievably clear. Consider this a great joy. Now I wonder how in the world are we actually to do this? Because again, th this is clear, the word says it, but how are we to do it? And I love that the Bible lays it out so clearly for us. This is not just a bold, strong command with no information about how we actually run this play. Uh, I think about parenting. Sometimes when I ask my kids to do something, their response is, why? And what do you say, parents? Do you say, hey, I I'm glad you asked that question. Let me just kind of unpack our thinking here. Uh, we've really considered a lot of options. C come over here and look in my journal. I have a list of pros and cons that I've developed. And, and I believe, uh, son or daughter, when you look at this and consider all the options and do a thorough evaluation of mom and dad's processing, you are going to see that we actually arrived at the appropriate conclusion for this decision. That's how Mallory and I parent. So, uh, <laughs> no, what, what do you say? Because I told you so, right? Because I said that. And listen, I want you to understand the God of all creation in perfect righteousness and holiness is well within his rights to say, because I told you so. And we as his children ought to say, yep, let's go. But, but here's the reality. God in His grace doesn't leave us there. He tells us why we should consider it great joy when we walk through trials in our lives. And why is that? As we continue to think about trials, we learn that trials produce endurance. Trials produce endurance. Verse 3 says that the testing of your faith 
We produce endurance. This word endurance is translated differently in some different translations. Some of you may have an NIV, and it uses the word perseverance. The ESV uses the word steadfast, but the more literal translations, and this is how the CSB renders it here, is endurance. And I love all of these words. I think perseverance, steadfastness, endurance, these are words that are in short supply and that we need in great measure in our lives today. The word endure essentially means Move forward, keep going, keep moving. Whatever is happening in your life, whatever we see, whatever we're encountering, when the expected unexpectedly happens, when we meet the trials of various shapes and sizes, we aren't phased, we deal with them. But we keep going, we endure. But I want you to know this only happens with work. I don't know we don't like that word, the W word. You're like, I'm off today. That's why I'm here, Pastor. Don't use the word work. But endurance takes work. I'm reminded of sports. Maybe uh, you can tell I'm an athlete. Uh, I wore this fishing shirt, too, when I played in high school all the time. Uh, they, they didn't have fishing as a sport until I was out of school, but now they have fishing teams. I'm like, why would y'all wait on that one? I might could have been good at that. Good at that. I mean, probably, probably not, but it's fine. When I was on the high school basketball team, the, the part of practice we hated, and if you are a basketball player, even football, lots of different sports, this was a thing, was at the end of practice or sometimes in the middle or sometimes at the beginning when the coach would blow the whistle and say, get on the line. And you knew what was coming. You were going to be running and doing sprints, whether you called them horses, suicides, or whatever, whatever your coach called them. It was just flat out running as hard as you can until you were absolutely gassed and worn out and can't hardly go. This is the part of the practice that we always did not look forward to. And I remember one game early in the season, we were at a basketball tournament, and one of the leaders on our team, we uh, played a, a team and had a great game, and we're doing really well, but towards the end, we kind of started to fade and ultimately lost the game. So we go into this locker room, and uh, this leader of our team walks in, and I'll never forget him slamming a locker super hard, and he said this, we've got to start running more. Now, you need to know that my role on this team was very much staying in my warm-ups, sitting on the bench, probably paying more attention to the cheerleaders than what was happening on the... Because there was what I called the Mott Buffer Zone, and this was basically 30 points behind or ahead. I was going to see some action on the floor, all right? So I didn't have to really pay. It was optional for me to pay attention to the game. So I wasn't a big fan of the idea of running more, but, but what this leader on our team recognized is that if we don't put in the work... This is going to happen to us all year. When we face difficulty, when the game gets hard, if we are not in shape, if we haven't put in the work, we are not going to be able to keep going. And in a very similar sense, James is inviting us to see trials as the work we put in to endure. So when trials come, we see what it is that we are made of. Where is your faith? Trials have a way of exposing where our faith is. And here's the beautiful but painful thing that trials do. Trials expose our phony faith. Yeah, it's not fun, is it? When we encounter difficulty and we realize that my God was comfort and comfort just died. Ease has been taken out of my life. Financial security 
physical health security that, that I really was clinging to is no longer viable. What do I do now? And when we face those trials, God is so good to us because in His grace, He's actually allowing our phony faith to be exposed so that we can be invited by Christ to return to the solid rock that will never move even when everything else is. And when we move to the solid rock that is Christ, when the next trial comes, it doesn't mean it's not going to hurt. doesn't mean that it's not going to be difficult. doesn't mean that it's not going to be hard, but we can know we are on the solid rock. Trials produce endurance by exposing our, our faith and ultimately building our faith on the right foundation, and that's Christ. And, and this is really the promise. And the, the last thing I want you to note today the text says it this way, trials lead to maturity in Christ. Trials lead to maturity. Verse 4 says, and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Isn't that the goal of following Jesus? Like, I want to be mature in my faith, mature and complete, lacking in nothing. I want the Lord to say that about me. We always talk about when we stand before the Lord, what do we want to hear him say? Well done, good and faithful servant. Can I tell you what part of that process of being made into that perfect and complete Christ follower is? It's learning to endure. It's learning to walk through the trials. James is telling us that we cannot be mature and complete until the Lord does this work in us and it takes trials for that work to take place. I think about my early adult years when I was out of the house dealing with adult problems for the first time in my life. I had a cell phone. I'm not that old. Cell phones were a thing, and it wasn't even a bag phone. I could walk around with it. But it wasn't a smartphone, so I couldn't just Google how to fix different situations. So I got to tell you, my saintly mother and father, I absolutely wore them out for a few years, and I know I did, right? Like, I called them constantly. Dad, I've got a flat tire. What do, what do I do? Living three hours away. He can't do anything about it. He's like, well, son, change, put the spare on. Where, where's the spare? Like, I, I didn't even know, right? Like, hey, Mom, I failed a test. Well, okay, study harder next time, right? Like, everything was a thing. And I remember calling them, I'm out of money. <laughs> right? that's, the, that's the call you get a lot, right? But, but a wild thing happened. As I encountered more and more things, as I had to work through trials of various shapes and sizes, those calls became a little less frequent. In fact, if you ask my mom and dad today, they might actually wish that I would call them more to ask them about things. It's funny how things change. But what happened? I matured. So moms and dads, I just want to, there is hope, all right? I just want to tell you that today. There is a maturity process that happens in our lives as we walk through various trials. We're blessed to have so many young families in our church, so many new mamas in our church, and so many kids. It's, it's weird, though, because I, I consider myself still young, and I consider my wife even younger. So you're welcome. <laughs> Didn't want to get in trouble. Come to the second service to hear how I say that. Uh, she won't be there. So no one will report to her. It's fine. Uh, 
And one thing that I have, have loved to see is that as we uh, parent, and obviously we still have young children, as you can see up here, but uh, all of our kids, we're almost into double-digit age of parenting now, and we have four kiddos. And one of the things that has been a joy to my life over the past several years has been watching Mallory interact with new mothers who, who say things like, well, man, I'm struggling with this one. How do you do it with four? And, how do you, and just think people will say, I heard, heard someone one time say, Man, you just are so chill with the kids. Like, it, the, nothing seems to phase you. But, but here's what I just want to tell you. You weren't around for baby number one. <laughs> right? We were still in Southeast Texas. Baby number one, everything was a thing. Right? We, we woke Etta up multiple times trying to make sure she was still breathing in the night. Right? You know what I'm talking about. Everything was a, was a major disaster. Everything was a panic situation. We were calling our mamas and our daddies asking what to do. But a crazy thing happens. The Lord's blessed us with four of them now. Poor Robert, he's, I think he may be out in Mays Road playing right now. No, he's still there. All right. right? It's just, it just happens over time. Things seem, it's a process and through experience, and if you can call raising a child a trial, which I think you probably can, we have learned to endure. We, we've learned to mature, and maturity happens the same way in our spiritual life. When we walk through life, when we face all of these trials, trials come and trials go, and we work through them, we learn in those moments not to depend on the world. And not to depend on the shaky ground of our own ideas or what mom and dad did or our phony faith, but instead we learn that the only place we can turn that is solid and true and sure is Christ. So our faith in Him grows trial by trial by trial. I shared this quote a few months ago, but it's too good not to share again from the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon. He said this way, this is a paraphrase, but I've learned to kiss the wave that tosses me against the rock of ages. When we go through trials, we can know that that trial is actually throwing us to the only place of security in our lives. And that's why this all comes first full circle to bring us back to the command. Consider it joy. Why can we consider it a joy when we face trials? Because we know that God is using every single trial that we face to mold and shape us into the people that he wants us to be. And listen, whether you see the outcome of that trial in this life or in eternity, we can know, believe, and trust that God is working. And we are learning to endure. And we are growing in maturity day after day, trial by trial. And with the Lord's help, we can actually learn to consider it joy. Because we're just servants of Christ. And whatever position He puts us in, we have learned to endure. And not only do we endure, we don't just grin and bear it. We rejoice. We take joy when we meet trials because we know that every trial is just another opportunity for Jesus to make us more like him. I got to tell you, though, when you're facing the trial, you're not going to remember this message. Isn't that a bummer? Like, I, like I, part of me just hopes that you'll be like, oh, but James 1, 2 through 4. 
But again, back to the idea of trials always seeming to be unexpected. But can I tell you what I'm praying the Lord will do as we internalize this passage in our heart, as we let this take root in our souls, that there will be a moment as we're going through the fiery trial where we say, oh, but God's doing a work. And it's incomplete right now. I can't see it. I don't even know how it's all going to work out. And again, let me give you the reminder, this sermon is not telling you that there'll be a pretty little bow at it by the end of the movie. You may be in eternity before you see what God's been working out. But you can know that every single step of the way, He has never left you. And that He's using everything you walk through to prepare you for who it is that He wants you to be. And when we stand before the Lord, can I tell you, the greatest trial you will ever face on this earth is only a blip on the radar screen of eternity. Remember your future, Christ follower. And remember because of that future today that the Savior who is preparing a place for you is going to walk with you through whatever you face today all the way to the worst thing that can happen on this earth, which is actually the best thing that can happen to you on this earth. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because He is with me. Whatever you face, friends, whatever trial comes, He's with you and He's preparing you for glory. Let's pray today. Lord, we love you. We thank you. God, I thank you for truth. Lord, I I know that feelings tend to run much of our lives, but I pray that today, by your grace, you would let your truth take root in our hearts and our souls in such a way that when we do experience trials, when we do face difficulties, that we will remember the truth. And Lord, grief is okay. Pain and sorrow, is they're okay, Lord. We're not called to fake it, but Lord, even in the midst of real trials and real difficulties, I pray that by your grace, Lord, you would help us to find joy in the fact that you are with us and that you are constantly molding and shaping us into who it is you desire us to be. Oh, so Lord, give us that joy. And Lord, we thank you that you're at work in our lives and that trials can even be evidence of the fact that you are at work in our lives. So may we be reminded of that and live in the confidence that you're with us and that you're working.